I would like to um, begin this morning with a scripture that it's uh, found in, um, in Hebrews 13, 17. And uh, it says, um, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as one who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The writer of Hebrews is very clear and he's saying that if you give a hard time to your leaders, their job will be very difficult, they will not enjoy it, and as a result, the church will suffer, the community will suffer. So we have to somehow have confidence, and how do we have confidence in our leaders? Uh, we look at uh, the, the leaders that we have in the country today, and, and the leaders of the world, and lots of people lose confidence in them. Well, we haven't got that luxury in church to vote leaders every three, four years. Can you imagine what a disaster there would be? So how do we have confidence? How can we gain confidence? And how can they obtain authority? So there's a two things here for the leader and one thing for the congregation, or two things in, in likewise for the congregation. So have confidence and Exert authority from the leader and, in the other hand, the community, the church, to obey and to respect that authority. And uh, also puts it in a, in a frame that it's not only that they are accountable to you, but they're also accountable to God. That makes it very, very difficult. You know, I don't know about uh, the new young ministers that are sitting here, but I reckon that uh, it can be quite fr- frightful, you know, thinking, well, hold on, how... How do I get the confidence of the people? How do I exert authority? Uh, and, and what would happen at some point if the church said in, in, in two years, oh, hold on, we have no confidence in this brother. He has to go down. Well, what do we do? What does the church do? What does the leader do? What do the rest of the leaders do? And creates quite an instability in church. And God does not want that. So I, I believe that God makes no mistakes. People make mistakes. Leaders make mistakes. And people, the congregation and communities make mistakes. So make no mistake in that, if it fits. Let's see what the Bible says. I said that this is not a prescription. This is not a description of a leader. But rather, it's a way of what we should have in consideration when we're looking for leaders. I'll be reading from Titus and also be reading from Timothy. The first one is found in Timothy. Uh, hopefully this will somehow okay thank you well you drive it for me thank you I don't have to think about this uh, thanks Kim First Timothy 3 1 says, it says he's a trustworthy saying whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task now the overseer is to be above reproach faithful to his wife temperate Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So I've got another couple of verses to go here, but this is, this is how Paul started talking to Timothy, Timothy being a young person, being a young leader. So he gives him a hint, hey Tim, you know something, this is what a leader should look like, yeah? And... Uh, so, 
Whoever aspires to be on a vessel desires a noble task. What is this saying is that some people are appointed by God, like Moses, like many others, but not all. See, in my case, I need to think back, and where do I stand? You probably would like to know, well, Oscar, what do you think? Do you think that you were appointed by God, or was it something that you desired? I don't know, maybe it was a 50-50. I want to be honest with you. But I'll tell you later, why do I think like that? Please remind me, Father, and tell you, Daniel, you remind me, eh? Um, let's continue reading. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must not do so in, sorry, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become conceit and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Wow. Uh, I need to unpack that. Maybe not today. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Let's read Titus. Titus is also a young leader. In fact, uh, very young. And Paul also, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, he asked him to appoint other leaders, but I feel that he's also t- talking to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what, I, what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. As I directed you, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. In Paul's mind, he's so focused about leadership and what a leader should look like and he speaks directly and indirectly to these young leaders and he wants them to be what he's saying so they can implement onto others what he just told them if you paid attention and there was a whole lot of words there of things of you know uh, I'll, I'll put in there in a minute about what he is telling them but In a way, Paul wants the church to exceed. Paul wants values. So he wants values in the leader. And those values must be across the board. So let's have a look at how those values look like. Next slide, please. So I just listed them here. This is just from these two places, these two uh, uh, 
passages of Scripture. I could have taken many others, and this would be highlighted even more. So this is just these two passages. And the ones that are underlined and are in, uh, in bold writing is because they're mentioned in both places. And if I was to highlight those or put them in different color that were mentioned more than in these two places and put the numbers, the numbers would actually be quite high in some of them. So here we have the person is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his family well and see that his uh, children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truth of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, blameless. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of, wild, of being wild and disobedient, not overbearing, not quickly tempered, not violent, and those and who loves what is good and who is self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firmly to the uh, trustworthy message as he has been taught. And then it's added into there, in the same way the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious, talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Which woman? The woman of the church? No. The woman of the leaders. So, wives, if you want your husband to be a leader, you too must take that step you're not detached from your husband. And you need to think about that you must be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers. So we're not going to go and gossip. We're not going to go and put people down. We're going to build people. We're not going to go and hush-hush on the phone. Oh, did my husband tell you about so-and-so? Oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, those people should not be in church. Hello? That thing is not for you. Yeah? Get it right. I was in Argentina in, uh, in October, and I was talking about leadership. And over there, women want to know everything, what their leader is doing, what their husband is doing, what the elder minister. And I said, can you please leave this place? I don't want you here. Because we're going to talk about some stuff that is not for you. Well, what do you mean it's not for me? Because if someone comes and tells me about their sin, what they've done in their life, and they want to confess, what is the first thing that I should do? Go and talk to my wife? Yeah? Is that what you want to know? Maybe they should come and confess to you. Yeah? Because that's the right thing to do. Catholic priests are not married. But I can imagine. A Catholic priest, he doesn't have a wife. But someone comes and confesses. The first thing that he does, what does he do? Go and runs to his mom. Mom, do you know that your next door neighbor? Yeah, right. He wouldn't be a Catholic priest for too long. So, they need to be temperate and trustworthy in everything. So, sisters, those that are wives of leaders, 
you have a huge responsibility. Think about it. If you don't know about this, come and talk to me or talk to my wife. My wife knows that if I'm talking to someone on the phone, she will not be asking, and who was that? That's not, I'm not putting her down, but it's not her business. In like manner, I will not go to her and say, oh, honey, sweetheart, who was that on the phone talking to you? It is not my business. Maybe she's having a conversation with a sister, with a young girl, with someone. Maybe someone is thinking about having an abortion. Maybe someone has done something horrible, terrible, or they're going through trial and tribulation, and they confided in her, and I don't even want to know the name of who confided in her. And if it's okay by the other person, and says, oh, you can share that with Oscar, then she will come and tell me. Is that not right? Thank you. The wife is not the first one to know about what's going on in church. What I have done, I have divided this in a couple of different areas. So the first one is about character. So what are we looking in these young ministers? And young ministers, what are you looking in your life that is important to you? How you should measure, how you should think that you are worthy, because it says about being worthy to be a minister in church. So the first thing is character. We got it there. Thank you for putting it up. So I just cropped them. In, 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 before I had them in order, one, two, three, four, five. Now I cropped them between the two, and I put them together as how they fit. So in character, you must be temperate, self-controlled, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money, not pursuing dishonest gain, not quick-tempered, not violent, someone who is self-controlled. Can we put a tick to that? So as a church, when we are voting, when we're saying putting a, a yes vote of confidence, we need to tick those boxes, but the people or the young ministers or the ministers that are to be, they need to put a tick and say, you know what, I don't tick well that box. I've got a problem there. But I'm happy to work with that. I'd like to work with that. And in, if you need prayer, then you pray, and you and your wife, because you, see, your wife is, let me see, yeah, all your wives are here, great. So your wife will know better than you, will know better than me, if you don't stick up to this chart. And say, you know what, honey, you, I think sometimes you get too upset. Sometimes you, you know, you've got a problem with uh, the way that you talk to me, the way that you talk to people. Maybe you shouldn't talk like that. And then there needs to be, that's why the wife needs to be temperate and understanding so you start to work and build your husband, yeah? And also, if that problem persists, there might be a problem that can be solved by another person, another trustworthy person from church and prayer. But if not, we might seek some professional help. Why? Because that's what we need to do. We can't afford to have someone here that kicks violent tantrums, that driving will get upset at a traffic lights and go and belt up the poor guy that his car has stolen at the lights. Yeah, we're not going to have that. We couldn't have that. We don't want to have that. And so we continue about other values, and this is in family values. So it says here, faithful to his wife. He must manage his own family well and see 
that his children obey him and that he does so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Well, what does that mean? I'll stop on that one for a moment. I know that in the past, in our background, and also many evangelical backgrounds, leaders were very, very critical of their children. Extremely critical. And they would belt them. And they will abuse them. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. No, 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 no. That's exactly the contrary of what the Bible says. To do it in a worthy manner. Not abusive. Yeah? Do I understand that? Or, or I misread it. If I'm misreading it, please correct me. You've got to leave it to you always to correct me. You always know that you can stop me and ask any question whenever I speak. But what it says there, and, and I will, we will go then directly to the text uh, of, 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 the, of the Greek if necessary. But uh, so it's asking the children to obey the parents or to obey the leader. But he also must do it in, in, in a worthy manner of full respect. If I go and belt my children, if I go and pull them, pull, put them down, if I tell them, call them all sorts of names because they're not living according to my expectation, what am I doing? I'm doing the opposite to what it says there. A man whose children believe, doesn't say that they're members of the church, believe and not, not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. We can unpack that another time. So we go to the next one. Things that belong to the family of God and the outside world. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach. He must not be a recent convert. Worthy of respect. Sincere. They must first be tested. Blameless. Not given to drunkenness. Although that is self-explanatory, I will go to number seven. Able to teach. I remember I started teaching and preaching in church. I was 17 years old. My first time that I stood up, my knees were shaking so bad. I remember that I read a psalm, but I don't remember which psalm I read. I stumbled about four times over it. I got lost in the middle of the psalm. And I got so nervous that literally I was shaking there. And I went numb. I couldn't even finish reading the psalm. And I went and I sat down. Obviously, I was not cut out for teaching. I was not born a teacher. I was not born a speaker. Contrary to what you may think. But there were some people that saw perhaps the braveness that I had in going to stand up and read a psalm in front of everyone. That they thought, maybe that is worthy. Maybe that has got some worth. And they got me under their wing. And my word, they had a go at me. In a nice way. And they were so persistent and they were so clear in the way that they spoke to me, and they spoke to me about the Word of God. They said, when you take the Word of God, you must know what you're talking about. If you don't know what you're talking about, then what are you going to talk about? Please read and understand. Get acquainted. So I listened to that literally. By the way, 
I'm very, very acquainted. I can tell you, I'm very acquainted with names, the genealogies, with the Old Testament, with how things fit in, about dates, because that's what they told me. If they told me to do that, I'm going to do it, yeah? And so I became uh, acquainted with, with figuring out who was with who, what time, and, and, and having even charts in my head. And then they said to me, when you speak to people, you need to think of the way how you can connect with them. And you're not above them and you're not below them. So you're not going to dress above them and you're not going to dress below them. Yeah? Because you need to be uh, relevant to their culture, to where they are. And something else that they said to me, when you stand up, and let me tell you, I'm sitting there like a little kid listening to these leaders Sunday after Sunday, and they repeated it every Sunday. So it's not something they told me twice. One thing I disobeyed them in, I'll tell you in a minute. But they said to me, when you are talking to people, you don't talk to people like that leaning over the pulpit and crossing your leg. The day that you see the prime minister doing that, you can do that. And you don't bang on the pulpit with your fist. And you're not going to be yelling and screaming at people. And you'll be shouting at people and you'll be directing your preaching to one person. And by the way, the day that you put your hands in a pocket and walk around and start preaching and talking to people, that day will put you down from the ministry. Because what is showing is complacency, that you know more than them and that you are above them. And you're not going to go and scratch your ear and put in faces when you think whether from, because people will think that you don't know what you're talking about. That's why you don't see me doing those things. Something else they told me, among a million other things. They said, you don't read the sermon in church. You can take some notes. Because if you're going to read a sermon, we can read Spurgeon, we can read Whitefield or Wesley, one of them. They've been much better preachers than what you are. They probably have much better things to say than what you are. You can take notes, but memorize those notes. Try very hard. See if you can memorize scriptures. And they also said to me, I'm getting excited, yeah? I'm not shouting, yeah? They said, when you are at the pulpit, you stand there by the pulpit, you don't walk up and down. I disobeyed him. Yeah? Why? Because that was part of their culture. In the culture that I lived in, if you'd done any of those things, you would be not listened to. Things have changed. Yeah? We prepare sermons in a different way today. We, like you see me, walking up and down. Perhaps it's more acceptable to have one hand in the pocket and talk because that's what the youth does. But in my case, they put the fear of God in me and they said, you don't do those things. You see, it is about a good leader training a young leader. I'm thankful to them. They were excellent leaders in what they were saying. And also, we have something here about the outside world. He must also have a good reputation with the outsiders, not indulging in much wine. They must keep hold of the deep truth of the faith with a clear conscience. One who loves what is good, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firmly to the truth, the message uh, as it has been taught. I've got there in red... Uh, not uh, okay. we're on the next uh, on the next slide, please, Kim. Thank you. I've got the read. Not indulging in much wine. 
you, you know, so it says about drunkenness in, in, in the other chart, but over here, not given too much wine. We have to understand that we need to read that in a, in a cultural context of the time that they were in. Water was contaminated. And the things that were used as a remedy was oil, olive oil. So if someone got injured, you rub olive oil. And if someone was sick, you give them some wine. Or on a wound, they also would put some wine. You find that across the scripture. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, with your meal, have some wine. What they used to do is in water, water was terribly contaminated. You put some wine and it acted as a um, disinfectant. It, it would somehow purify the water. It's somehow like what Serbs do with Shlivovitz. Yeah, they put Shlivovitz, you got a sore back, you rub some Shlivovitz. Mosquito bite, you rub some, some Shlivovitz, yeah? Uh, you got a bad breath, you know, rinse your mouth with Shlivovitz. Then you swallow it, yeah? Uh, you got a sore stomach, you got a cold, you got a flu, name it, whatever it is, Shlivovitz fixes everything, yeah? So it was like that with wine. And so what Paul is saying, okay, you know, you, it, it's okay, you can have some, yeah? But... Okay, rub some on your back, have a, have a shot too, but, but don't ever do it, yeah? And, uh, and that can be also, we can translate that to medication. So one was used as a medication. If a leader is abusing any medication, it's like what Paul is saying about abusing wine. Wow, so much to say. My time is over. Let's go a little bit about what we're looking at. 1 Timothy 5.17. By the way, when Paul talks about leadership, leadership was a little bit different to what it is now. It was not as structured. So deacons, elders, people that were serving the tables, they were all somehow in leadership. And so he names them in a different way. And elders were sort of a little bit wiser than the rest. They were the ones that would give advice and got around the block a few times. As for the rest of the leaders, they could be quite young. Yeah? And so he says, uh, the elders who direct the affairs of the church, and that direct them well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Oh, so not all elders will be preaching and teaching. Yeah? That's what it's saying there. So some will be in preaching and teaching, but some of them cannot speak like Moses. Moses couldn't speak, yeah? But there was someone else that would speak for him. So although someone, it says that they have to be able to teach, not all have got the gift of speaking. And we have to take that into consideration. What does this leader have besides speaking and teaching? Because... They are the leaders of today, but they also are the leaders of the future. They are the ones that will bring transcendence to us. Just want to have a look on the next slide. Thank you. So what we're looking at is at a historical and actual way of life of these young or not so young ministers. Their history and the actual way of life. Are they living the way that we would like them to live as leaders of the church? We also need to look at the futuristic way. How will they transcend? How will they take over from me and on to others? How will they be the leaders of my children and grandchildren? And the inheritance, what kind of church are we going to leave to them? What kind of church they will inherit? And what kind of church they will pass to others? They should be visionary, inspiring, 
obstacle and problem solving. And that's what we're looking at. When we're looking at a leader, we're looking at people that can deliver these things. Um, sorry, I put them all up there. I went through all of them. Thank you. So futuristic and uh, inheritance, visionaries, inspiring, obstacle and problem solving. Um, to finish with, this is a quote. This is not my quote. This is a quote by a great socialist thinker. And he said, we should, li- we should be living the way we think, not thinking the way that we live. In other words, our thinking should be always above the way that we live. I think that says a lot, especially when we're looking at leaders. Do I have confidence in these leaders? Of course I do. Are they green in some ways? I think so. Do they have the potential to grow? Absolutely. Should I support them? Definitely. By the way, if they're going to stay the way that they are now and not develop and not evolve and not grow, then maybe we should be looking for someone else. But I believe that they have the great desire to grow, to develop, to exceed, to get better than what they are. And I believe that they deserve a chance. And I think that all of us, we should be thinking above the way that we are. We should be thinking not the way that we are today, but we should be way above our thinking and try to live up to it. Because if we think the way that we live, if we are conformed with our thinking the way that we are today, we're going to go backwards. Definitely. Every culture, every society, they have done it. Recapping. What are we looking in a leader? We're looking for a leader that has got strong values. A leader that is able to lead this church, lead you. A leader that has got a future. A leader that has got a vision. And a leader that will be able to take your children and your grandchildren to the next level. Not all your children, not all your grandchildren are here. Some of you don't even got that far of having children or grandchildren. But I tell you, these leaders will be their leaders. And we need to be very uh, responsible in the way that we deal and the way that we encourage them and the way that we build them. We should be praying for our leaders. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We want to thank you for all the leaders that have gone before us because they have been inspiring to us. We don't think of their faults, rather we think of the good things. We think of the great things, the great dedication that they had. We thank you for the leaders from Apostle Paul and Apostle Peter and John. And even those that were before, those of old, like Moses and so many others. We thank you that because of their leadership, we have values today in life. We have the values that you have prescribed for us. Thank you, Lord. We pray for the leaders across the world, young and old, that the church would support them. We pray that you would inspire them through the Holy Spirit 
that we would have a better community, a better church tomorrow than what we have today. For we ask you and we thank you. Praise you and worship you all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Oscar. Um, a lot of good information there. A lot of um, also self-reflection. Um, you mentioned about... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> you mentioned about um, the wives of leaders, uh, but also, I mean, um, I, I can reflect that. To me also, not just being um, a leader of the music team, but me as a person in CLF where... Um, Okay, there's a standard that the Bible is teaching us and that Paul's given us. And even if there's um, cultures, habits, traditions that maybe I've done that are not with that, then I can reflect to that as well. So it's not just the women, it's it's everybody inclusive um, because we are also the ones who support our leaders. So thanks for that. We'll uh, take a moment for offering. So uh, if the... Gareth, can you pass the offering bags, please? As we sing, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the high. 